0: Oh, hello. Um, I'm Emily Chappell um, and I'm a cyclist and a writer and that's about it, really.
1: I'm going to be honest here. Emily Chappell is a hero of mine. A London cycle courier turned bicycle adventurer. She's an all-round badass as well as a genuinely down-to-earth lovely person had some really fantastic conversations with her about what it's like being a woman cycling alone or traveling long distance what you want to eat and general nonsense you gotta love a woman who can make more ridiculous moose jokes than the moose women she's currently riding around the uk promoting her new book what goes around and london cycle courier story i caught her while she was in manchester and took her to my favorite lunch spot the Sydney Street Café, which is based in the Joyce Leyland
0: LGBT Centre,
1: for a curry and a chat about cycling adventures.
0: Well, I've just written a book called What Goes Around, which is the story of my uh, my years as a cycle courier in London. And uh, I'm currently riding around the UK promoting it, which involves long, long days on the bike, and then uh, standing around in bars and evening reading to people, which is quite nice.
1: So I'm just going to get right in there. I really like your most recent blog post because I know you've had people talk to you about mm-hmm. you know, going and doing it on your own and I, and to a lesser extent when I've gone and done cycling a bit on my own. Um, I've heard people kind of a bit
0: surprised. Yeah, this is something that I have been dealing with right from the beginning, as pretty much as soon as I started to ride a bike, which was mm-hmm. 10 years ago now. And then when I decided to go off and cycle across Asia and things like that, it just became the constant question, you know, but, you know, is it dangerous for you as a woman? I mean, you know, as a woman. And... I have been asked this again and again and again. Every time I do an interview, every time I give a talk, someone will ask that. And usually they'll sort of say, well, I mean, yes, you're very brave, you know, very brave, with all the risks, you know, as a single woman, as a solo woman, as a white woman. And the more I think about this question, the more I realise it's just based on all these incredibly ill-informed prejudices. So what they're basically saying is, aren't you scared of travelling in countries where brown men might rape you? That's what it comes down to. Or, a slightly more charitable um, interpretation would be but women are so incompetent how could you possibly manage on your own either of those is just completely wrong and I've spent now what adds up to several years off on my own on a bike in foreign countries I have never been raped and I've never been attacked and I've never felt like I was in danger except occasionally from traffic which you get here and I think this question is probably responsible for a lot of women deciding not to travel and deciding not to do things and I've come across women saying well you know I, I did fancy cycling across Iran but I thought It'd just be too dangerous you know as a woman on my own. And my experience has been pretty much the opposite of that. Um, I've had one or two annoying men over the years, and I've had hundreds and hundreds and thousands of kind, friendly, helpful, generous people who have always sorted me out when something went wrong and who have kind of invited me to stay with them and insisted on giving me food and stuff like that. And I think this interpretation... Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, food
1: has just arrived for, for people listening. See. What well, I wanted to turn the tables on that, and because um, I feel like there's some massive advantages of mm. having adventures on your own, and mm. possibly there is an advantage of being a woman having adventures on your own.
0: Yeah, well, this is very much how I feel, and um, probably a bit of what I'll be talking about this evening. I, I feel it's actually better and easier for women in some ways. So a story I often tell is when I was cycling through the Turkish winter, And um, at one point there were these two Dutch guys cycling about half a day behind me. And eventually we met up and we sort of swapped stories about what we'd been through recently. And it turns out over the last few nights, every single night I had been taken in by some kind people I'd met on the spur of the moment. And you know, given a warm bed and a hot meal and made friends and those two guys had camped outside in the snow. And I felt a bit like oh, I'm having a bit less of an adventure here. But I'd had a wonderful time, and I connected with people. And I think, in some ways, it's, it's better for women. They're seen as less of a threat. And there is also this thing of, oh, the poor woman on her own. We must protect her. But as well as that, I think. Um, You see different things as a woman, so it's just as important for women to travel as men because they will get a different sort of exposure to society. And I always thought before I travelled, oh, well, you know, I'll have a less good time because I won't get to hang out and get drunk with all the soldiers on the border, because I don't think that would be a very good idea for me. But what I do get is I get to go and hang out with the women in certain countries where men wouldn't be able to. And I know a lot of male cyclists I met, like British, European cyclists going through Iran, felt that they were only really getting half the story, because they didn't really get much opportunity to meet women. And they had the impression women in Iran were terribly oppressed. And I got the opportunity to meet loads of women and they weren't really oppressed. They were a bit more segregated, but that didn't necessarily mean they were less empowered. and they were also, well, possibly in some cases, much more interesting people. So if women don't travel, we're only going to get half the story.
1: Last year, Emily entered the transcontinental race. I'm not really into any kind of pro cycling. I really don't actually care about the Grand Tours oh boy, I'm a bit obsessed with this race. The Transcontinental Race is an annual self-supported ultra-long distance cycling race across Europe. The racers take their own routes, sleeping and eating as and when they need to, having to visit a set number of checkpoints along the way. These checkpoints are not in a straight line and tend to be at the top of ridiculous mountains. The transcontinental race is kind of a mad bastard child of audax and touring and racing on acid and crystal meth and a bucket load of caffeine. It's amazing and utterly inspiring in a Jesus Christ, I would never, ever, ever do that. Emily pulled out on day eight after ending up in hospital in Slovenia with mysterious chest pains. so other thing I liked about your recent your most recent blog about the Transcontinental was how many ice lollies you ate
0: yeah (laughs) well I don't think the ice lollies were actually a very good idea I should have been eating ice cream because it's got more calories but I was um, not actually a big fan of I like ice cream but it's a bit kind of sickly and sweet and creamy and claggy and I think at that point I was thirsty dehydrated and wasn't something really cold in my mouth and my gullet so I'd often buy quite a few ice lollies and stick some of them down my top and just kind of eat them all as I went along Um, I really should have been eating something a bit more calorific. this was the big problem on the Transcon because you your body can't get itself around the amount of calories you need to eat because after a while your appetite goes haywire and you, you struggle to, you know, your instincts don't want you to eat, but you have to. But also, your head can't get around it because you really do need something like 20,000 calories a day if you're riding, or maybe not that many, I don't know. And if you're riding 20 hours, you need a good few calories. Mm. But just logically, you think, no, 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 I've already had six meals today. I don't think I need another one, but you do, you always need more. You physically can't eat enough. Is that, so is that the secret for your, your next
1: attempt? Hmm. Oh so, um, well, yeah, what's your, what's your kind of game plan for the next transcontinental
0: Race? Oof, I thought I would have a better game plan now. Um, so when I came out of the last one, it was with the, the, the full and sincere intention of doing it again and cracking it, getting it all right. I still have that intention, but I have less of the resolve that I did. So I was thinking, right, I need to figure out the sleep thing and I need to get going on my Garmin and really you know, get into that, start using that. and. Um, sort out whatever chest problem it was I had I haven't really done any of that stuff yet so I've, I'm still ignoring the Garmin. This bike tour would be this book tour would be a great opportunity to be using the Garmin and I am not and I haven't sorted out the chest thing though I have sort of figured out what it is and that it's not going to kill me So what and, is the chest thing? Um, I think it's my intercostal muscles um, uh, they're the ones that are between your ribs and it's only on my left side but that sort of all adds up because i've got a lot of problems not problems but you know i've got a lot of twinges on my left side because i was a courier for years carrying this bag that rested on my left shoulder and i often notice i'm kind of punching my left shoulder up so yeah my left shoulder my left ribs my left lower back and my left knee have all got little things going on so i think if i straighten out my left side and work on that that'll help and, yeah, I need to figure out the sleep thing. I didn't get enough recovery time, and that's something I'm sort of considering this year.
1: <clears throat> so after the transcontinental, how long do you think it
0: took you to recover? Oh, afterwards. Um, it's actually quite a good question, because I, I had a week off, and then I started cycling again, what I felt was fairly slowly, and then I started audaxing again and stuff like that. And... I ended up um, over like December, Christmas. I kept getting colds and getting ill, and spend time off the bike. And I ended up really, really fatigued and couldn't figure out why. And our training buddy said, "Um, "This is this is fatigue. You didn't recover properly after the Transcon." I was like, "I had a whole week off. I should be fine." I took it really easy afterwards. I hadn't done any big rides, and then. I kind of thought about it a bit and then I kept coming across emails I'd sent to people over the months following the transplant, saying, oh, I really shouldn't come on the ride tomorrow because I'm feeling a bit, you know, unwell and all of that, am a bit tired, maybe I'll just take it easy, but you know what, I really want to, so I'm coming. And that happened about three times and I thought, oh, yeah, maybe I should have taken it easier, but it's it's hard, it's always hard to say, no, I won't go on the ride for my own good because riding makes you feel better and I do have this... Sometimes slightly dangerous assumption that any problem I have can be solved by going out on the bike.
1: So, as someone who's ridden from was it, Anchorage to Seattle mm. in January, what, January, February, March. In January, February, March. In the UK, when is um, when is when is the weather too bad to ride?
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> today. It's um, I've got a terrible double standard on this because it's. It's horrible in the UK. This winter has been horrible. Just cold, icy rain and mud everywhere. And in many ways, the Alaska Highway is easier. Um, because it's always, it's always really, really, really cold. And you're wearing the right kind of kit. And also when it's that cold, it kind of keeps itself to itself. You're surrounded by water in the form of ice. But it stays as ice and snow. It doesn't seep into your clothing or anything. And... It's, I don't know, it just feels a bit more cleaner. Whereas here, for example, I'm riding from, uh, after my event tonight in Manchester, I'm riding down to Oxford for a thing on Saturday. And the forecast is for hovering around zero and sleet and snow. And that's just going to suck. And I know I'm going to get really cold. I'm going to have wet feet. I'm probably going to get quite shivery in the early hours of the morning. And it'll take me a long time to warm up. And I can do without it. (laughs)
1: that evening I went to see her talk at the sandbar where I picked up a copy of her new book if you get a chance you should hear Emily talk about her adventures she's definitely been a massive inspiration for the big adventure I'm currently planning it was also fun to watch a gaggle of middle-aged men trying to mansplain to her about the best way to get out of Manchester she's ridden halfway around the world without the aid of GPS But yes, she needs you to tell her how to get to the other side of Buxton.